You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Hey, if you uh, have your Bible or your Bible app, will you grab that and let's go to John chapter 9. We have lots of guests with us today. So glad you're here. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. There are stacks of Bibles on the tables in the back of the room, hardback, black Bibles. You can grab one now. You can grab one on your way out today. That's our gift to you with no strings attached. We are a Word-centered church, and we would love to give you a copy of the very Word that we study and that we'll be looking at together this morning. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? We do this because we really do believe this is God's word for us. So listen carefully to this incredible encounter in John chapter 9. As he, Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We are coming into this time of year, uh, between Thanksgiving and New Year's especially, this time of year where we will be bombarded by pictures and promises of the good life. These pictures and these promises will be on the billboards that you see as you're driving down the road. They'll be on the YouTube ads. They'll be in your social media feed. They'll even be in the checkout line at your preferred grocery store like we talked about last week. These pictures and promises of the good life. What you need to feel fully and finally satisfied, they will say, is a more adventurous sex life. A fancy vacation to an exotic destination. A new dishwasher. Black Friday appliance sales. Anybody? What you need to feel fully and finally satisfied is just a little more fun, a few more drinks. Do you have any idea how important the time between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, how important this time is for the liquor industry? But here's the bottom line. All of these pictures, these promises, it's all just a mirage. It's a mirage. You will feel fully, finally satisfied only when you come to Jesus. Your heart, your deepest you, it will find satisfaction only in Jesus because you were designed to have a relationship with him. It's what you were made for. And so only Jesus has what your heart is searching for. Your heart will be satisfied only in him. In this series, it will take us all the way through the Christmas season. We're looking at the Gospel of John. And we're asking the question, who is Jesus? Who is he really? Why is it that he is the only one who can satisfy our hearts? And we're allowing the seven I am sayings in John's Gospel to answer that question. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, 
And then he fills in the blank with a metaphor. A word picture, a powerful word picture that tells us more about who he is and what he came to do for us. Last week we looked at John chapter 6 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Bread satisfies us, doesn't it? It nourishes us. If we don't eat, eventually we will die. Bread is important. But when we eat, we live only for so long. That's the problem with bread. It nourishes us temporarily. Jesus says, I will nourish you eternally. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, believe in me, walk with me, and I will sustain you, not just until you have your next piece of bread, not just until your next meal. No, I will sustain you into eternity, into the life to come. I am the bread of life, he says. Now, if the bread of life saying, if that speaks primarily to how Jesus can transform your future, the I am saying we're studying today speaks to how Jesus can transform your present, how he can change everything about your present situation, whatever that situation might be. In John chapter 8, Jesus gives us the second I am saying. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, as I was studying this week in my sermon prep, I had a moment here where I came to a halt because I had a tough decision to make. Do I go with the Harry Potter illustration or the Lord of the Rings illustration? You see, these are the things pastors have to deal with. And I wasn't quite sure, and so I thought it might be wise, because it's good for a communicator to know his audience, to sort of see where you stand on this. So by show of hands, if you had to choose just one of the two, you've got to either go Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Let me see a show of the hands for the Harry Potter fans in the house. Any of you out there? I've got to look through the glare of my glasses. Okay, all right, hands down. How about Lord of the Rings fans out there? Oh, good. Okay, lots of you too. Hands down. How about you don't care about either of them? Anybody? All right. I will pray for your souls. I'm going to go with the Harry Potter one, okay, because I think it fits better. In J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, there's a magical device. You might remember it. I think it's in the first and the final movies or books. It's called the Deluminator. The Deluminator, and here's how it works. It's the gift that Albus Dumbledore wills to Ron Weasley, and if you click the Deluminator, it captures all the light in the space that you're in. just captures all the light with a click. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. Hang with me. Jesus is saying he does precisely the opposite. He captures all the darkness. He conquers all the darkness. He brings light. He is light. He's the light of the world. Now, when the first century readers first read this or first heard this, it struck them in a way that it doesn't strike you and me now. You know why? Because we are surrounded by artificial light. Darkness is not really a problem for us, is it? So to feel this metaphor the way they would have felt it back then, we have to use our imaginations. I need you to imagine utter darkness. The black of night, a room with no windows, no light switches, no lamps, no digital picture frame, no iPhone, no device of any kind. For some of you, this already sounds like hell. Nothing but utter darkness. 
Now, what does this degree of darkness mean? Well, it means at least three things. Consider them. It means at least disorientation, fear. Where am I? What's out there? Can't see anything with this degree of darkness. It also means division, separation. Where, where are you? Can't find you. It's too dark. And it means disability. I feel powerless in this setting. I feel powerless to know, powerless to move, powerless to escape. How do I get out of here? See, with this degree of darkness, the only hope, the only hope is illumination, light. And Jesus says to us, I am that light. I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus doesn't just say this. He says it in John 8. In John 9, he shows it. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 9, he shines. Listen to this encounter. We're going to look at it in three parts. It begins with a man who is very much in need of illumination. Very much in need. Read the story again. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 6, having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. We've got to go back to the first verse. We need to take this one one verse at a time. Jesus is just going about his day. It's a normal day. He's walking from some place to another place, and he sees a blind man. Now, in the, in the ancient world, the blind were completely at the mercy of other people. They often went to some high-traffic area. They had someone take them to a high-traffic area, and they just camped out there all day, hoping that someone would pass by and see them and be in a charitable mood. So here's this blind man, camped out in some high-traffic area, and Jesus sees him. This is not just a blind man, however. It's a man blind from birth. Now, readers of John's gospel at this stage, we already know that Jesus has the power to heal people. We've seen him do it. In John 4, Jesus healed a man who was deathly sick. In John 5, Jesus healed a man who had lost the ability to walk. For over 30 years, he couldn't walk, and Jesus healed him. So already we know that Jesus has the power to heal. But this story in John 9 is different. Because you see, the other stories are about someone restoring something. A man had health, he lost it, and his health is restored. A man had the ability to walk, he lost the ability, and that ability is restored. But this is not a story of restoration. This is a story of creation. This man, it's not the case that he had the ability to see and somehow sometime lost it. No, he's never seen. This man knows only darkness. Think of the things he's never seen. He has never seen the beauty of creation. Never. Never seen a bird fly. Never seen a flower bloom. He has never seen 
another human being. Never seen his parents. He's never seen himself. This man knows only darkness. Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him, and not just Jesus. Notice also the disciples. They spot this man, and they have a question. Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the the disciples assume that there is always a direct cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. That's the assumption in their question, that there's always a direct cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. They think this man is struggling, suffering severely. Therefore, he must have sinned seriously. Or at least someone in his family did. But look at what Jesus says in response. Jesus says, gentlemen, you've totally misread the situation. You have totally misinterpreted this man's suffering. Jesus doesn't say the man is sinless. Nor does he say the family is sinless. But what Jesus teaches us here is that though it is true that suffering in general exists in the world as a result of humanity's rebellion, it is not true that every episode of suffering can be pinned to or tracked back to a particular sin. Jesus says, guys, listen, it's not that this man is suffering because of some specific sin. He is suffering because he is in a specific plan. God's plan. This man can't see so that other people will see the power of God in and through him. Now look, this is the same question that we often bring to our own suffering, isn't it? We're going through a difficult time in life and we ask God, why? Why am I enduring this? And maybe we even sometimes think, I must have sinned, like I must have done something horrible for God to bring this upon me. So if you're tempted to ask that question, make sure that you hear the answer that Jesus gives here because what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. Maybe it's the case that you are suffering as part of God's good plan. That through you, the world will see the power of God. I mean, here we are hundreds and hundreds of years later studying this very story. Why? Because the man was born blind. And way back then, people saw God's power through what happened to him. And even now, all these years later, we're still seeing God's power. So the disciples are wrong in this case. Jesus sets the record straight. And then Jesus reminds them of what he said in the previous chapter. He says, I am the light of the world. He says it, and then he shows it. He does something that certainly no one was expecting. He spits. Having said this, he spits on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva. Then he says, after applying the mud to the man's eyes, go and wash. And the blind man does exactly What Jesus said, no stories asked, no hesitation, does exactly what is asked of them. And as he goes to that pool, and as he brings his hands to his face to wash, something miraculous happens. His hands, he can see them. The water, he can see it. 
the stones around him, the sky for the first time. He sees it all. Imagine what that must have been like. He sees it all. He has been healed. The man born blind. Now, a question we should ask here is, why does Jesus do it this way? I would encourage you in your own personal Bible study time, ask questions like this. See, God doesn't waste words. Every detail in this story is meaningful. So why heal the man this way, with mud and pool? What's it all about? The pool is pretty straightforward. We're told it was a very specific pool, the pool of Siloam, which means scent. The name of the pool hints at the identity of the healer. Jesus is the sent Son of God. How is it that Jesus can heal this man? This is not a miracle of something being restored. This is a miracle of creation. This man's never seen light. He is the creator. That's how he can do it. So that's the significance of the pool. But now what about the mud? This one's not as obvious. Think for a moment about what Jesus does. He spits. His saliva. Some of himself. He spits in the dirt. The earth. Jesus mixes some of himself with some of the earth. And the result is healing. This is a picture, a miniature of Jesus' mission. Jesus mixes himself with the earth. He enters the earth. He comes to us. Why? To bring redemption, to bring healing to all who will believe in him. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, following this miracle of illumination, there's a long interrogation scene in John 9. It goes almost to the end of the chapter. The rest of the story really is just this lengthy interrogation with multiple parties involved. Here's how it begins. It begins with the neighbors of the blind man. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. And others said, No, no, it looks like him, but it's not him. But he kept saying, It's me. I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? How are your eyes opened? And he answered, verse 11, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. The beginning of this interrogation scene, it's important to notice how the blind man refers to Jesus here. The man. The man Jesus. He's the one who healed me. There's a progression of the man's confession as this all plays out. Starts with Jesus the man. These neighbors... They must have known this blind man. Again, he's camped out in the same basic area every day, high traffic area. So other people who lived around on their way to work, on their way to worship, they would have passed him on a daily basis. Maybe even knew him by name. He was a permanent fixture of their day. But now, today, they see him and he's up and he's moving. And he can see. And at first they wonder, is this even the same man? And he assures them, yeah, it's, it's me. So they start to ask, how did this happen? How, how did you receive your sight? And his answer is Jesus the man. Well, then the neighbors take him to a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. You can read about this in the rest of chapter 9. I'll just summarize it for you. They take him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are religious folk. Their first concern is that this miracle happened on a Sabbath day. 
Now, this was not a life or death matter, so it should not have happened on a Sabbath day. They began to question, who is this Jesus? They began to think of Jesus as someone who doesn't know or doesn't care about God's law at all. And so they asked the blind man, tell us more about him. And at this point, the blind man says, Jesus is a prophet. Now we've already seen a bit of an evolution in his thinking from Jesus the man to Jesus the prophet. Well, the Pharisees hear this and they don't really like it. They start to think, maybe this guy's a liar. Maybe he's not even telling us a true story. Maybe he's never been blind. So they track down his parents. They find his parents and they bring them into the station for questioning. And they ask them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And they corroborate all the details. Yep, our son. He's never seen anything. He was born this way. But they weren't present for the healing, so they can't speak to that part of the story. So the Pharisees let the parents go. And now the Pharisees come back again to the blind man asking further questions. Tell us more about this Jesus. It sounds to us like he's a sinner. Healing on the Sabbath day sounds like he has no respect for God, no respect for God's law at all. At this point, another evolution in the blind man's thinking, now the healed man's thinking. It's not just Jesus the man, it's not just Jesus the prophet. Jesus is someone I follow. He even looks to the Pharisees and says, would you like to be his disciples? Implying that he himself already is one. The Pharisees don't like this at all. They kick him out. They exclude him. They excommunicate him. Now, interestingly, we don't know where Jesus was when all of this has been playing out. Jesus heals him way back at the beginning of the chapter, and then he just sort of fades from view. And John doesn't tell us where he went. But at the very end of the chapter, Jesus comes back. He comes back just as the healed man has been excluded. And that's when Jesus comes and offers his embrace. And here's how the interrogation scene in all of this ends. With this wonderful scene, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. So the blind man, now the healed man, said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. From Jesus the man, to Jesus the prophet, to Jesus the master, and now finally in the end, Jesus the Lord. I believe. See, at the end of the story, the blind man sees... In more than one sense. In more than one sense. So, what does all of this mean for us? What are the implications for us today? Well, there are many of them. I'm sure by now you've noticed that. We could spend a lot of time talking from this story alone about suffering and how God might very well have a good purpose in our suffering. We could think deeply about that. We could think deeply about how in this story... In this man's case, belief is a process. Or at least his articulation of his belief is a process. Don't give up on the people in your life who are going through that process of belief. We could think about those things, but I don't want to do that. Here's what I want to do instead. I want to focus on what this story teaches us about how Jesus can do for all of us what he did for the blind man. As you hear that, you're probably thinking, well, hang on, though, I'm not blind. And on the one hand, you're right. 
but on another, you're mistaken. Because according to the Bible, we are all blind, spiritually speaking. Here's the major takeaway from this story. Don't miss it. As this man was born literally, physically blind, so we are born metaphorically, spiritually blind. We come into this world spiritually lost in the darkness. And remember what this degree of darkness means. It means disorientation, fear, Where am I? I got no purpose. Where am I? It means division, separation. Where are you? I can't find you. Certainly can't find God. And it means disability. I feel powerless. Powerless to know, powerless to move, powerless to escape. See, by healing this blind man physically, Jesus gives us an unforgettable picture. An unforgettable picture of what he can do for us spiritually. Spiritually. Remember the things the blind man had never seen. He had never seen creation. Never. He had never seen other human beings. He had never seen himself. Jesus, the illuminator, the light of the world, when we believe in him, when we come to him, he changes the way we see all of these things. He changes the way we see creation. Through Jesus, we come into an intimate, personal relationship with our Creator. And we understand for the first time ever our place, our purpose in this world. He brings light to creation. Jesus changes the way we see other human beings. He brings us into a relationship with our Creator God. And He helps us see the community of creation, including humanity, created in God's image. And that means that every person... Every person, regardless of their race, their socioeconomic class, their political party, every person is valuable, lovable. Jesus changes the way we see other human beings. And he changes the way we see ourselves. You will never know yourself fully, truly, until you find Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just bring value to other people. He brings value to you. Don't you see it? The God of the universe loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That must mean that you are lovable. You are loved by God himself. Jesus is the illuminator. The light of the world. So believe in him. Follow him. And like the blind man in this story, you will be able to say, this much I know. Might be a number of things I haven't figured out yet, but this much I know. I was blind. I was blind. And now, now I see. Now I see. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Jesus, thank you for this incredible picture of what you can do for all of us. All of us who come into this world spiritually blind, in the darkness, separated, scared, unsure of our purpose, our place. Jesus, you bring light. When we believe in you, when we walk with you, 
you capture the darkness. You capture it all. My prayer this morning, as no doubt there are people with different backgrounds and different life experiences in this room right now, I'm sure that some of us don't yet fully understand, Jesus, who you are. So I pray today that your spirit is at work in hearts and that as your word has been opened, lives are being transformed. God, I pray that you are drawing people, drawing people to yourself through your son Jesus the bread of life, the light of the world, the only one, the only one who can provide that for which our hearts long. Draw us to Jesus. Draw us to Him.